We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Baltimore City will end the year with the fewest homicides in nearly a decade. According to the city's Public Safety Accountability Dashboard, 260 people have lost their lives in Baltimore this year. The city has not been under 300 murders since 2014, when there were 211 homicides. Last year, more than 330 people were murdered. Is the tide turning? If so, why? Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott joins us now by Zoom. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, and I want to ask you, what factors do you think are responsible for bringing down the number of murders? Well, Sheila, before we get into that, we just want to start that talking about this very significant reduction in homicides and also non-fatal shootings. Uh, we're talking about a 9% reduction in non-fatal shootings, a 20% homicide, which we know uh, we laid that groundwork. And as you will remember, Sheila, when I said that we are setting the goal to reduce homicides and shootings in Baltimore, but homicides by at least 15%. People thought I was crazy and that they didn't. They said there's no way we're going to make a jump that big over the next couple of years. And we're experiencing right now uh, the steepest single year reduction when you talk about sheer numbers from one year to the next since these stats started being collected in the 1970s. And we're doing that as a result of building Baltimore's first comprehensive violence prevention plan. The flagship program of that is our group violence reduction strategy that we started in the Western District. Uh, We're now in the Southwestern District and going to be moving into the Central shortly, where we focus in on the people that are the most likely to be the victims and perpetrators of this violence, the small group of people, and we go to them. And we offer them the resources to change their lives and stay alive. But if they don't, we bring the full weight of local, state, and federal law enforcement to them. But the work doesn't just stop there. You're talking about the expansion that we've done in community violence intervention. The work that we do, not just through Safe Streets, but with partners like We Are Us and the growing nature of community partners having put over $50 million into a community violence intervention ecosystem. We're also talking about expanding For the first time, I expanded victim services uh, to gunshot victims in the city of Baltimore. When you talk about all of those things together and you add in uh, homicides are down and illegal arrests are down at the same time, but gun seizures are up. We seized over 2,700 guns this year, a 9% increase. Our partnerships in the criminal justice system from the state's attorney's office, our law enforcement partners at the federal government with ATF and the and the marshals and the FBI, the U.S. attorney, his office, all of that together is what is creating, uh, based on this comprehensive violence prevention plan, how we're doing it and doing it the right way. Okay, the the group violence reduction strategy you said is started in the Western District, now also in the Southern District. Are you planning? Southwestern, to, Southwestern. Southwestern. Are you yes. planning to take it anyplace else in the city? Yes, eventually it's going to go to all nine districts, uh, but we have to do it responsibly, uh, Sheila. We know that this kind of program, focuses turn program, has failed twice in the city, and one of the reasons why is that they tried, they tried to grow it too quickly, uh, and we're going to do that and do it the right way. The central district is next, but I want to be very clear that even though GVRS isn't in a particular district, 
doesn't mean uh, that the police and the other agencies don't already have some of the, the, the tenements to GVRS in place there. But we're going to continue to grow that program so that all nine police districts have that have the program eventually. Well, yeah, as you know, some people are worried about watering down its impacts. In 2021, you directed $50 million of federal COVID recovery dollars to Monsey's violence prevention efforts. That source of funding is not renewable. How will you ensure that violence prevention is adequately funded? Well, we'll continue to fund it. I just want to be very clear and remind folks that even before uh, we had uh, the, the the funds from ARPA, the city was already leading in this in this work and in, in across not just here in Baltimore but across the country. But it's also about how we now understand where we need to invest city resources. But we also have been blessed to have support from funders in our community and beyond the community, uh, philanthropic jobs to help us grow this as well, and we'll continue to do all of the above. We'll be talking with our federal delegation as we always do, having the best federal delegation in the country. We're going to put city money in as always. We'll be continuing to get state funding as we always had and work with our partners in the philanthropic and private sectors. Uh, this is the one of the great things about GVRS. It is, yes, it's the mayor strategy, but it has the buy-in of so many people and, and institutions in the city, and we're going to continue to push it that way. Do you have an estimate of how many people have been offered or accepted services through the GVS strategy? G- GVRS, there have been many. Uh, we can we could get back to you ab- about that and, and being, of course, uh, Sheila, being very sensitive about uh, people's information, especially coming from the life that some of these individuals are coming from. But a lot of them have taken us up. And then, as you know, uh, you've seen the press conferences with me and the state attorney and our other partners of what, what happens when people don't take us up. And I think it's critical to understand how intense this is. These individuals, Sheila, actually receive a letter directly from me telling them that this is their last chance and we want them to stay alive. We will offer them whatever resource, whether that's educational, job training, relocation, substance abuse, mental health, whatever it is, we will get it to them and have our credible messengers help to deliver that message to them. But we want it to be known very clear from me directly that we are not going to tolerate them to continue to be involved in violence. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott. With 10 days left in 2023, the city will end the year with fewer than 300 murders for the first time since 2014. Meanwhile, as you know, property crime jumped 43 percent compared to 2022. What will it take to get a handle on this sector of crime, which includes auto thefts, which have risen more than 200 percent this year? Auto theft is a big issue, not just here, as you know very well, Sheila. Auto thefts are up basically in every jurisdiction across the country, and that's being driven by uh, Honda and Kia and uh, this, what they call this TikTok challenge, where it was shown that uh, young people could steal a Honda or a Kia with a simple USB. Over 68% of the vehicles stolen in Baltimore this year were Hyundai or Kias. It's not that the Baltimore Police Department, who are the only folks in the law enforcement realm that work for the mayor of Baltimore, haven't been making arrests. They do it time and time again. 
The issue is, Sheila, and this has come to light recently, that we have to continuously arrest the same people over and over and over again, in particular, our young people, which is why we're going to be working with the governor, the DJS secretary, all of our state legislative, legislative representatives to make sure that we fix any kind of issues, because we have to understand, yes, Young people's brains aren't fully grown, right? We we understand and know that you can't treat a 12-year-old the same way you would treat a 50 or a 60-year-old person. But we also have to build in levels of accountability because it is extremely frustrating to me uh, when my police officers, after we look at data, we use LPRs, we use all of these things, and we catch somebody, some young person stealing a car, a group of them stealing a car early on Friday, only for later that Friday night, six hours later, to see the same very young person after being arrested in another stolen car. Uh, that speaks to issues that are beyond the control of myself and the police department. But we're going to be working with our partners to make sure that they know. And those relationships are very, very strong now after having eight years of having a governor who didn't invest in those agencies and was never questioning about what they were doing. Uh, now we have a governor and his team who are putting their hands into the dirt to help to solve these issues because that's the number one issue uh, when it comes to this is that we have to have uh, the accountability and the supports for those families as well. Also, we're not just stopping there. We're going to continue to make the arrest, but we're also going to talk about the manufacturers. As you know, myself and a bunch of mayors across the country are suing Honda and Kia because they have a role to play in this too. They knew that they had this defect. And yes, we appreciate the software upgrades that they that they've been setting up time for folks to make but they're responsible as well as well as some of those social media organizations and we're going to continue to push on that legal front our lawsuit is going forward but i want the residents of baltimore to hear me very clearly and say your police are making arrests of these young people at my direction of people stealing these vehicles at my direction each and every day and they will continue to do so and we know that is what is driving the property crime increase because even sheila uh this year carjackings where someone is taking a car physically robbing someone with a gun at gunpoint most time with a car are also down 20 percent in baltimore uh, which is very different from our neighbors in dc where they're up over 30 percent I want to ask you about the Brooklyn mass shooting in July. Two people were killed, 28 were injured. Half the victims were under 17 years old. Are you certain that changes have been made within the Baltimore Police Department to prevent a shooting like this from happening again? Well, yes, we know we've made many changes, and I think that it's important to note that changes were already afoot uh, before Brooklyn Day was happening. Remember, Sheila, I myself led the charge for police redistricting in Baltimore for many, many moons. And as mayor finally got the chance to actually do it prior to police redistricting, which unfortunately happened a week after Brooklyn Day, only one police patrol car was responsible for all of Brooklyn. That was too much workload uh, when you think about the calls for service in the Southern District. Now, there are three. But also there's been command changes there so that the relationships are improved with their new district commander there. But we always have to remember, Sheila, that this is also about individuals who decided to shoot other people. 
Yes, my responsibility is to make sure the police department is is doing their part and doing what they need to do. But we also have to remember at the end of the day, those who pull the trigger are responsible and we cannot ever forget that. But there's been a lot, a lot of work done there. My office, the mayor's office of neighborhood safety engagement is actually going to be in Brooklyn again, uh, doing holiday things with the families. I personally have spent a lot of time in Brooklyn building relationships uh, with with people and families there. And when you talk to them about not just it's just not just about BPD, when you go and ask residents of Brooklyn and Brooklyn homes how they feel about the mayor's office of neighborhood safety and engagement in the office and what we've been doing and work with them, they we feel like a family, right? Uh, uh, at the last Ravens home game, uh, my office uh, worked with the Ravens and we took families from Brooklyn homes to the game together. They celebrated the game, that winning walk-off uh, a touchdown punt return was right in front of them. And we built that relationship. And that's how you also work to deal with issues like that. Because when you have relationships with people, you know when things are afoot a lot quicker. In January, in an op-ed for the Washington Post, you wrote that Baltimore, like many other cities, failed to reduce violence in the past because it relied too much on the three Ps, policing, prosecution, and prisons. How do you know the city is striking the right balance at this moment? I think the, the, the numbers and evidence speak for themselves. We have shown that you can do the both and. We don't have to, Sheila, uh, as I said in, in my opening response to you, we are reducing violence in the city and have our uh, consent decree monitors and the folks at DOJ say out loud that Baltimore has fewer illegal arrests. That's a significant thing in the city. We are doing it while we are investing in community violence intervention, increasing the partnerships with the community, right? Striking that balance where everybody, even the brothers that, that I know and love and walk, walk in with We Are Us will say that, look, we're going to do our part, but also there's a role and responsibility for police as well, but they don't have to do everything. Through our smart policing plan, we just uh, got an award again uh, from MAKO last week for innovation on our 911 diversion, where we're taking calls to service away from police, giving it to professional folks who deal with behavioral health and mental health issues, allowing our police to focus on what they should be focused on, not things that other folks are better trained to do. That's how we continue to strike that balance, that balance of investing record numbers of, of investment into our schools, opening more rec centers, not closing them, opening more pools, expanded hours, expanded youth works, all of the investments we're making on the front end for young people and our resources for families, but also letting folks know we also have accountability. This is a both and, not an either or, but we are no longer putting all of the burden on the police department. Mr. Mayor, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Brandon Scott is mayor of Baltimore City. At the On the Record page, we have links to more information about the city's violence prevention efforts. Short break now on the record run. We're back, an organizer of the Baltimore Peace Movement on finding the peace within us all. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Each quarter, the Baltimore Peace Movement holds Peace Promise Weekends, times to affirm life and promote community building. One of their mottos is, peace is the promise because peace is naturally within us. Here with an update on the movement's work is co-organizer Leatrice Gant. Gant is also deputy director of the Baltimore Community Mediation Center. Welcome back to On the Record, Leatrice. Hi, happy to be here. I spoke with Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott earlier about the drop in homicides. The murder count in the city is on track to be below 300 murders this year, the lowest it's been since 2014. What factors do you think are playing a role in this decrease? The elevation of sensitivity around life in Baltimore City is something that I've seen um, in the work that I do. People are uh, tired of going to funerals. They're tired of um, mourning the loss of their loved ones. And so the efforts between community um, and government have been really, really strong to help to rally community around celebrating life and um, recognizing that life is important in Baltimore City. As you work to promote peace and offer support after homicides, do you intersect with the Mayor's Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement? Are, are you coordinating efforts? So um, the Baltimore Peace Movement actually works directly with the Mayor's Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement um, to help to support communities who experience violence in Baltimore City. Um, we have a longstanding relationship with our current mayor in doing peace work in and around Baltimore City. And so we're excited to be part of that amazing effort to reduce violence in our city. Looking back over the past year, what accomplishments of the Baltimore Peace Movement are you most proud of? Uh, that is such an interesting question. And so... Thinking about the last year, um, galvanizing people around this idea that peace is promised to us because it's within us already, um, encouraging people to recognize that we've become numb to the peace that exists in Baltimore City. Uh, personally, that is something that I'm really proud of, um, getting people to think differently about our relationship with conflict, our relationship with our mismanagement of conflict and our relationship to peace. Um, I think that, you know, when the narrative is that our city is war-torn um, and that it's inherently dangerous, it is challenging for us as individuals to recognize the peace that exists in Baltimore City. And so I personally am most proud of elevating that narrative. The first Peace Promise Weekend, what was then called a ceasefire weekend, was in August 2017. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the past six and a half years? Ooh, um, that Baltimore is a place where, if given the opportunity, we will find the most creative ways to support one another. We will find the most heartfelt ways to love on one another. And when we are in crisis mode, we rally around one another <laughs> in ways that I haven't seen in other places. Um, the Baltimore ceasefire, when it was at the height of its popularity, um, had the capacity to galvanize people to do things sometimes for the very first time to support their community. Give me an example of that, something 
people came together to do for the very first time? So um, there was an overnight resource fair, um, August 2017, um, one in East Baltimore and one in West Baltimore. These overnight resource fairs were from either 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And during those overnight resource fairs, people got access to food. People got um, their records expunged. I think the count um, at the end of that weekend was that over 200 people were able to get their records expunged. Um, I was at one of the rallies probably about three o'clock in the morning and a woman walked over and was able to get um, connected to substance abuse treatment, um, celebrating life, providing community with resources. And that kind of thing is the kind of thing that Baltimore is known for. but giving people the opportunity to do that kind of thing on a high level scale was something that we hadn't seen before. And so we were really proud of that community effort. That's Leatrice Gant of the Baltimore Community Mediation Center and the Baltimore Peace Movement. On the record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about the decrease in the city's murder rate and efforts to heal from and prevent violence. So even though the number of homicide victims is down this year. Each death is a tragedy for a family and the community. How should we think about this reduction? Um, I think that there is a a dichotomy that exists in our world currently where we can acknowledge that there is work that needs to be done um, and also celebrate the, the work that has been being done. And so one life lost in our city is one life too many. And the fact that we are able to come in under the threshold that has had us in a chokehold for a very long time. Um, I think that that is cause for celebration and hopefully can be a spark of inspiration for people who gave up on Baltimore City or thought that we couldn't change or that we were just the wire. Um, I'd like to look at it positively and and say that we're moving in the right direction. One of the biggest concerns in violence prevention is stopping retaliation after an incident, a shooting, a fight. What does de-escalation look like in those situations? Um, Actually, de-escalation starts with acknowledging that we struggle to manage conflict in healthy ways. And so even before... Uh, uh, an argument or a fight or um, a gun is involved, we have an opportunity to interrupt situations so that they don't escalate to the point where people lose their lives. Um, providing people with opportunities to actually talk through challenging situations and interrupting violence in that way is really important. Um, Acknowledging people's pain, acknowledging that people feel disrespected, acknowledging that people feel confused um, and sometimes hurt and disappointed when they are in the midst of these relationship issues and these interpersonal, um, these interpersonal issues that they have. And so not even waiting before a gun gets pulled out. When we see people who are having a hard time with one another, figuring out ways how we can galvanize and rally around those people so that everybody at the table can feel heard and understood. And that's where mediation comes in. What do you want to accomplish in 2024? In 2024, I want 
more people in Baltimore City to know that there is a free resource available to them if they need to have a hard conversation with somebody, if they are in the middle or at the end or feel a conflict brewing, or if they want to make plans around a thing. My goal is for at least 10% more of the people who live here to know that they have access to that service and to remind people in Baltimore City, peace is for us. It's not weakness. There is a beautiful element of being able to move throughout your life without worrying about your safety. And so encouraging that and lifting that up is something that I plan to accomplish in 2024 as well. And that free resource is the Baltimore Community Mediation Center. The next Baltimore Peace Promise weekend is February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. How can people get involved? Um, People can get involved in so many different ways. Um, We have the new flyer and poster available on our website. You can download the flyers and posters and share them across your social media. You can tell three people every single day leading up to the movement that the weekend is, is happening. Uh, People can plan what we call life-affirming events to support and amplify peace that weekend. People can buy apparel. Um, People can change their social media pictures, their profile pictures to the flyer and the poster. Um, They can go to our website and learn more about the movement. People can apply to become ambassadors. There are a host of ways to amplify peace in Baltimore City. And, of course, we will link to your website. Leatrice, thanks for talking to us. Thank you for having me. Leatrice Gant is Deputy Director of the Baltimore Community Mediation Center and a co-organizer of the Baltimore Peace Movement. The next Peace Promise Weekend begins on Friday, February 2nd. If you missed part of this conversation, you can catch it by going to WIPR.org to listen or download the On the Record podcast. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>